This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We are going to have a conversation starting right now with two individuals who I could not wait to speak with. Larissa Mills. Larissa is a parenting expert. And Jens Kastens, who is a former professional athlete, played goaltender in Germany for many years. And the two of them are combining on something called the mental game. And it's looking at a number of different things. And I don't want to take any of those, those things that we're going to talk about away. So please let me welcome Larissa Mills and Jens Kasten to London Live. Larissa, maybe can we begin with you? What made you want to dive so deeply into conversations about the mental side of sports? Oh, I, I think it's because there are so many of our friends that have been hurt in pro sports, Olympians, elite athletes, and I've been coaching kids since I was probably 18, and I've just seen such a different child and a different athlete to coach, and now our friends are leaving pro sports, and they're not able to reclaim their life and they have resorted to one of the forms of addiction to cope with pain in pro sports or um, Olympic sports or even you know um, at a level that that causes them to feel pressure so and, and of course too I have to say I'm really worried about the lack of participation in sports and that uh, it's going down so we need to change sports in order to keep kids in sports but we also need to do some I think Jens and I uh, very much agree that we need to educate parents. Well, why don't we start there? Because we can look at maybe the younger age first and involvement in sports, what that does, and then maybe we'll go to kind of the exit from sports and how different a life becomes when you're so used to having the regimented, here's what I do on Monday, here's what I do on Tuesday, pro athletes, here's when we fly, here's when we're at home, here's when we eat, it's all laid out. Jens, when we look at, at young people getting involved in sports, we always hear it's such a great thing because you're going to learn so many incredible life lessons. If you can handle playing and being in a pressure situation, doesn't matter whether you're seven years old or 17, that's going to help you later on in life. What do you see in terms of youth participation right now and, and what's happening there? Oh, that's a great question. I... I've been mentoring young athletes since I was 18. I am 58 now, so it's been a while. And what I see is not all the time, but what I see a lot is devastating. The pressure, especially young kids have, not just from parents, but from coaches, from teammates. It's, it's insane. Like we have eight-year-olds who are suffering from performance anxiety. We can't have that. You know, they're suffering from anxiety because of the, the pressure they, they get from their parents. You know, they, they have a competition, whether it's hockey, a game, or it's whatever you want it, like it's a track and field meet. They get in the car and they get lectured and yelled at by their parents because they didn't perform at the level their parents expect them to do or their coaches expect them to do. And we cannot have that. We cannot have eight-year-olds who are supposed to have fun doing their sports, having anxiety and depression. This is one of the reasons we're doing this. We're talking with Jens Kasten and Larissa Mills. 
They are putting together the mental game, which you'll be able to find just about everywhere you get your shows. Jens, where did this turn? Because you've been doing this, as you say, for about 40 years. And, you know, you and I, Larissa, when we were younger, we used to play sports and there was that fun element. There wasn't necessarily the, okay, you know, everybody's got to perform at this level and you've got to do this. Has this been happening gradually? I would say over the last 20 years, it, it exploded. Yeah, and, you know, we, we live in a society and we live in a time where everybody's under pressure. The parents are under pressure. They have to sometimes work two or three jobs to, to make ends meet. And then they need an outlet and they use their kids' sports as their outlet and as their opportunity to relive the youth that they never had or the athletic success that they never had. But we can't do this. We can't dictate, okay, you know what, I want you to be a hockey player because I wanted to have a career in hockey, but that never happened. So you will fulfill my dreams and you do it the way I want. We can't have that. We have to let our, li uh, our children live their lives, live their childhood, make their decisions, especially when it comes to sports. You know, we can't drag them from A to B to Z just because we want them to be successful in a certain sport. Kids Larissa, need to be able to live. Larissa, there's a structure in place and, and there are essentially cottage industries that have come out of sports. Take a look at hockey. I mean, it, it feels like it goes down to stick handling school. I don't know whether there's a stick handling school, but there's certainly power skating and there's certainly this and that, and this is yeah. going to make you better and you've got to do this. And, when we look at the structure in place, is that something that leads to what you and Jens are talking about? I believe it's more than that. I think it's a multi-layered issue. I think perhaps that if we examine how, let's say, let's say volleyball or soccer or hockey are all structured, you have your house league, you move on, you get competitive, you move up, you go to provincials if you're in Canada, you can become pro even in volleyball, hockey or soccer. It doesn't matter. But I would say, and Jens and I probably have had, what, a few discussions, Jens, where we, we think that the, the age in which they should be supplied with counselors or sports psychologists, if they're really going to head into it, is around 14. And we should be involving the parents and making sure the parents are on that same respectful, supportive path. Because let's face it, by 14, 16, if you haven't chosen your sport yourself as a child, you're just going to leave it because you're already destroying the relationship with your parent and yourself and you're already a mess. And it seems to be that magic age of where a kid's going. Jens, I think it was 14, right? That we kind of said that's where, yeah. okay, I can't remember if we, but, I think, and then we really don't have that structure in place for let's say an OHL age 16 and then above and above. We don't have that and it needs to be. And when we have our special guests on, you'll hear, you're going to have to sit and listen to these horrible stories. <laughs> because they are from our pro athletes and say, I wish I had had a mentor. I'd wish I'd had support. I'd wish I had known. I wish. And it was a lot of past tense. And that's why I think parents are fighting to put their kids in power skating and stick handling. And I, you can say that I'm in fault for that too, but my kids want to be in it. It's their choice. It's my kid's choice, not mine. So there's, there's a difference in our household. And I, I've learned to be a better supportive parent right? I, I'm not the parent swearing at the rink. I'm not the parent swearing at the coach. 
But I think Jens, you might want to add to this question. It's a heavy loaded question. So <laughs> I don't know, Mike. It's, um, yeah, it's frustrating. You know, I, the youngest kid with performance anxiety and depression that I took on was eight years old. Yeah, you said eight. He came from, an, from another country, from another mm -hmm. culture, couldn't speak the language, had to deal, he was playing hockey, from China, playing hockey back home. And he came over here, was put on a, a triple A team, uh, new teammates, was totally isolated because he didn't speak the language very well. And every time he came into the car after a performance, he got yelled at. And my first session with him was him sitting there staring at me for one hour. He did not say one word. The second session was him gaining the trust because I, I built that trust by explaining to him who I am, what I do, that it's like a confidential thing. I'm not running to his dad. And what he told me, I choked me up. He said, <laughs> I don't know anybody here. I, I don't want to be here. I'm lonely. Nobody listens to me. My father always yells, yells at me. And I said to him, it, it actually makes me emotional right now. I, he said to me, all I want from my father is to see me, is to spend quality time with me. Maybe sh shoot some hoops or play just a video play. games. Just I just want to play. Yeah, right? I just want quality time. And I had, a, actually I had a heart to heart with the father and thank goodness he actually listened and thank took in what I had to say yeah. and the relationship changed. But this is just one of so many examples that I experience on a daily basis. Yeah. And we can't do this. Like I personally come from a very destructive home. And I know what it feels like to be abused emotionally and physically. And I can't have that. Like, I can't, I, I can't stand seeing really that in kids. Yeah. And only because they want to have fun. You know, they want to yeah. do sports, be active with their friends and with their classmates. And, and just enjoy it without being reprimanded and without being pressured. You know what? If it turns out that they're skilled and talented and, and motivated and passionate about it, and they want to pursue a professional career, amazing. But let happen. them make that decision. We are parents. We, our number one priority is to protect our children. Sorry, I'm getting a little passionate about this. <laughs> Please get passionate. We're That's talking. We're partners, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Larissa Mills and Jens Kasten, and we're talking about the mental game. So, Larissa, I mean, you're going through this as a parent. You talk a lot about parenting. Is that the best way forward in making some changes here? Or is that pretty multi-level too? Actually, I think it's pretty simple. When you look at how we, Jens and I, our big plan is to help organizations restructure their protocols and procedures, help coaches to identify and work with parents and read their behavior a little bit better, and then work with the parents through the organizations and educate them about what are, what are the healthiest ways to actually have a successful athlete. And we have parents coming on our show that have two Olympians in the same family, two. And they've done a very good job at being positive, supportive, and just being there and saying, this is your goal. Okay, well, let's look at why this didn't work for you today. And I mean, I'm even restructuring parents around here and in, in, in my city here, and we're sitting down and we're talking about how do we break down a practice? Well, why are you breaking down a practice? You're a parent. You can talk to them about it. 
do you know that sport at a 10 year level in? Because I certainly know many sports, but I don't have the coaching authority, let's say for a 16 year old. I can support my child, but I don't, I, I know a lot of the game, but I'm not a, I'm not going to say I'm a good coach. I'm not, that's not my job. My job is to say, Hey, you looked really good in the corners when you get in the car or to read my child's space and go, okay, that didn't go well. Did something happen in the change room? Did something happen on the ice and read your kid and give them a really good space because they will talk. You just have to read their language and figure it out. And that's why we are here, you know, to educate parents, coaches and sport organizations and help them evaluate where some sport organizations actually are at their all time high for complaints against parents. I am, you know, Jens and I are, <laughs> we've seen a lot of very irate parents in the stands. So I think that that it does play onto the kids and is that strong role modeling, right? No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, we, we talk about parenting a lot, but this also comes down to the coaches and, you know, as a parent, if I can give one big advice, your kid comes into the car after a competition. They have coaches. They don't need a parent coach. Leave the coaching to the coaches and be a support. As a parent, be a support. Let the kids come in the car. Don't say anything until they start talking about it. And then if you need to ask questions, you ask on a, po in a positive way. Yeah. What did you think you did well today? How did you feel about your game? Let the kids decide what they want to talk about, but don't come in the game. Why did you uh, in the car yeah, and say, why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Work. That was horrible. Why didn't you shoot? They have coaches. Yeah. You're not the coach, you're a parent, you're a support. You are guidance, but not a coach. Be a support, be caring, be compassionate. And we use humor leave in the our rest. car. Wow, did you see that ball go flying? That kid really nailed it. You know, we 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 kind of use humor if there's an if we note that behavior's there. And of course, you know, Jens, when a kid has a bad game, space. I'm sorry. They honey, know it. Must have hurt. Like just the way we're talking to our kids really needs to improve, right? You can't blame a coach for your son's mistake. You can't blame a coach for a loss. You can't disrespect a coach even in front of your child because that is actually causing a greater strain and toxic atmosphere in sports that I've never seen before in my entire life. In the last five years, I think it's, I think, uh, Jens, we saw the stat of, I think there was almost 60% of refs in the OHL quit last year, if I recall, yeah. right? That is substantial because they're but, sick of being abused. No, absolutely. So, you know, to sum it up, your parent, do, you do not, if you want to do your kid the biggest disservice you can, yell at the coach. Mm. Because you know the next game your child will be sitting at the end of the bench oh, yeah. uh, and not play yeah. at all. Yeah. Be a parent. Don't be a critic. Be a support. Coaches do the coaching. And, you know, that's a whole other level that we can talk yeah. about some other day. But uh, right now, be gentle. Be compassionate be loving and let your kids make the decision where they want to go in, in their athletic career. We're talking with Jens Kasten and Larissa Mills. We're talking about the mental game. There's a coach out there that has a parents meeting at the beginning of every season, yeah. hands out, whether it's a binder or, you know, now it's yeah. become a little bit more digital it used to be a binder and in it are, 
hard details on a number of uh, uh, tournaments and practice times and expectations. And, and then there's, you know, some motivational stuff in there, but the very first page is what that coach gets the parents to look at, open it up, look at that first page. And it says, if I can ask you one thing, whenever you want to say something after a game to your child, Instead, please just look down at this, this one piece of paper, and instead of saying whatever it is you're going to say, please say this. And all it says is, I love to watch you play. Bingo. Those Amazing. words. He says, please. Amazing. Whatever it is, just, just say this instead. And, you know, you guys are you're talking I love exactly it. about that kind of thing. No. Let's, you also, you talk to professional athletes, you talk to Olympians, people who have yes. made it to the highest height of their sport, and then all of a sudden, they are finished. And yeah, let's, let's get to that. We continue to talk a little bit more about sports, and we switch more to a discussion about high-end athletes, professional athletes, athletes like the ones who are playing at the World Hockey Championship right now. We've been talking about the mental game, which is a series that is being put together by Larissa Mills and Jens Kasten. Larissa is a parenting expert, and Jens is a former professional hockey player in Germany. And we've talked a lot about young people and parents. Well, now we're going to turn things a, a little bit. Fast forward almost to the other end of the spectrum. Professional athletes, world-class athletes, Olympic athletes, because Jens and, and Larissa, at some point, bodies stop being able to do what they've once done. They aren't as strong. They aren't as fast. And what happens then? Larissa, what are you finding? Um, I'll answer for a second, Jens, and then Jens is like jumping at this because he was a professional athlete and, and he has seen so much more than what I have actually heard. And I can speak to my personal friends that have left the pros and one is a cocaine addict, one is an alcoholic, one can't function, one's addicted to gambling. Uh, they can't hold relationships. They are told that they're special since they're 16. They're given millions of dollars. And all of a sudden they're like, they blow a knee and they're, they can't cope. They can't get back. They're on Oxycontin, whatever it is. And they seem to not be able to reacclimate to life, right? Because you're treated some way for so long and told you're incredible and told you're good. And all of a sudden the pressure from competition, whatever, trying to get back in, when they get back into the real world, I still have friends. And now I am 48 and they have been out of it for almost 12 years and they still can't figure it out. And I've lost one and I think I've, I'm about to lose another one. So where, where is this help? And I think Jens has a really good story to fill in that gap. Cause Jens, you've done it. Yeah, so, I go to hockey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, um, I had a very, you know, I wasn't the greatest hockey goalie in the world, but I had a prosperous career over 21 years. You know, I started playing professional hockey when I was 16 and at, you know, when you're this young, hockey becomes everything. Hockey becomes your family. Hockey becomes your life. And there were certainly ups and downs. And, you know, I never really thought about post-career because, you know, I had an agent for three years and that was supposed to be part of the, the program that we were uh, agreed to. And, 
post-career planning that never happened. So I was very naive at 37. I said, you know, I'm going to play two more years and then figure out what I want to do with my life. Yeah. God had a different plan that season, seventh game, seventh minute, I blew up my shoulder in the worst way you can blow out a shoulder career ending injury. So here I am. What am I going to do with my life? I had no idea. So I dabbled from getting all my personal training licenses. I was assistant general manager for a professional team. I got my sports marketing diploma. I, I did pretty much everything I could, but what you can't replace is that family. What you can't replace is that adrenaline rush when you're in front of thousands of people and they're chanting your name and the camaraderie and the brotherhood. You cannot replace that. So you try to replace it with something else. And here's a, here it is, addiction. You know, hockey was my drug. It was my escape from my childhood. And when I had to retire, everything came to the surface. My childhood, uh, what I lost. So there was addictions. There was drugs. There was sex. There was a little bit of alcohol. And I, at some point, I, I didn't know what to do. So I became suicidal. I had an attempt and luckily I was found. And, um, and I know that I am just one, one of, of many, though, Jan. hundreds of thousands of athletes who are going through the same. It's incredible. Because professional athletes, for the most part, have an agent who is there to collect the big paycheck. Yeah, they, they negotiate good contracts. But at the end of the day, what else do they do? You look at these, these young athletes now, you look at the NHL, they enter the league at 18, living their dream. At 20, they can have a career ending injury that ends everything they've worked for their entire life, ending their dreams. And then what? I've tried to get into the NHL and help them with post-career planning and mm-hmm. you can't. And this is not just the NHL, it goes for all sports. And this is where we have a responsibility towards our professional athletes. We have to make sure that they are prepared for their post career. And that's not happening. You know, (laughs) another prime example is, and I'm sure you, the the name is familiar to both of you is Boris Becker. You know, I'm German. He was a God in Germany. I had a poster of him on my wall, Jens. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like up there. Boris Becker, after he retired from tennis, went through the same stuff. For three years, he was a total mess. And he was one of the top tennis players in history. You name anything a tennis player would want to do, he got to do it. He did it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So All the slams done, right? We, we have a responsibility. Yeah, it's great. These people entertain our, uh, us. We go to the games, we watch them on TV, but we don't know the story behind the face. And trust me, there are very, very sad stories. And through our podcast, we are able to reveal some of these stories and make people understand that it's not just a glorious life. It's not just the millions of dollars. These are human beings. These are not machines. They have emotions, they have feelings, and they have struggles that we don't see and this is important that we understand that not everything is peachy on a given day for these athletes we we can't just look at the million dollar contracts 
we have to understand that these careers are short-lived. Yes, people, would you like, also say that that if they're they're looking at these contracts and let's say they're in they're, they've been a player for 10 years and I hear a lot of them when they're out they say I sacrificed all this and now I almost don't know what to do like they don't yeah. know how to have they know how to have the teammates and friends but outside they're like that they had so much routine and structure which is very healthy and people thrive in structures and kids thrive in structures and so do adults that's a given that's proven psychology but as soon as they're done it's almost like they didn't it feels like when they speak to us on our podcast that they feel i wish i had had guidance and and always been told i need a backup and prep work mental skills yep. has come up so much mike it's on every podcast emotional yeah. skills resilience coping mechanisms all i'm seeing right now and a lot of our friends that have addiction issues pro athletes and other athletes that have been damaged from the lack of um, prep or counseling is they feel like I, I didn't really get a hug. <laughs> These big, huge athletes. I didn't get a hug. I didn't feel loved. I was just a piece of meat. I was tossed around. I felt like a number. And I think, well, that's what you are. Yeah. And I mean, I know that I know that several of our podcast guests have felt like that. And I know it's different when you're an Olympian, but right because you're not a pro athlete but they're all saying the same thing they wish they'd had hug <laughs> i was like that's so sad like yeah you, you want to feel like a like a human being and like not not a number and like you said you know as an athlete you have a routine for as long as your career is pretty much every day is the same every day so as a professional athlete everything is taken care for you yeah. You know, you, you go, you go to summer camp. So everything's there. You got your house, you got your car, you got your equipment, you got your, your furniture in the house. Everything's there. Like you go to a restaurant and eat for free. Um, and then. But is that real you're life? out of this right? and you don't know what to do. Like, where am I going to go? What, what am I going to do for food? Uh, oh, geez. I have to find my own house. <laughs> I have to buy my own car. I like yep. How many of the people much. in the NHL that we talked to where they we were in COVID and they're like, I had to learn to cook? <laughs> they yeah. were like, oh my God, mom. <laughs> they called their mom. They're YouTubing recipes because they don't, mom, how do I do laundry? Like, it was just like, what? Yeah. Life skills. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny, but it's actually sad because right. that those I'm days shocked. are over and then you pretty much start your life from scratch. And that's the struggle you know when you're in your 30s or like some of them are even in their early 40s when yeah, they retire yeah, yeah and then they all of a sudden have to do this all by themselves it sounds crazy but it's that's reality and this is what people don't see well i think we're all looking forward to hearing exactly what you've put together thank you for spending this time with us thank you for the discussions this has been fantastic and thank you for doing what you're doing larissa yens really appreciate it keep safe and keep up the great work thank you so much thanks so much mike, mike. I hope it was awesome to be here that is jens Kasten and larissa mills and the mental game so a lot of things in there that can either 
be a part of somebody's life or, or maybe just what you look at and say, okay, whatever happened to that person? Where did, where did they wind up? Why, or you hear about somebody's difficulties after coming out of a professional career and you still think, how? How can you have difficulty coming out of a professional career? Well, like Yen said, the, the bright lights aren't there. The regiment and routine is not there. The what do I do with the rest of my life? You know, look at what we're doing right now. We look at Joe Thornton and say, wow, Joe Thornton is, is 41. He's turning 42, scored a goal last night. That's great. When he retires, whether it's at the end of this year and hopefully he gets to ride off into the sunset, he's still, he's 42. He turns 42 on July the 2nd. He's only 42. What's he going to do with the rest of his life? And that will be something that that he has to think about and decide just like everybody else has coming up on june the 6th we have the gutsy walk it is taking place and it's taking place in all kinds of communities but it's taking place very differently than maybe past walks have because nobody's gathering in a park nobody's gathering at a location and starting the walk we're doing this in a way virtually but we're doing this in our own communities and in the last 26 years gutsy walk has raised over 46 million dollars and that money has been used to make some really important findings in understanding inflammatory bowel disease joining us right now is one of the honorary chairs of the Gutsy Walk. Please welcome Adrian Bolfon to London Live. Adrian, how's today going? Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. It's a great day outside so far, and uh, I'm happy to be here with you. Well, it is great to have you here. You are someone who has had their life changed by Crohn's and colitis. Can you tell us a little bit about when that change occurred and how it happened? Yeah, absolutely. So, so sort of the short story is back in 2009, uh, I ended up having some, some GI symptoms, going a little bit more frequently, having a little bit more urgency to have to use the bathroom. Uh, I ended up having a colonoscopy and, and at that point was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis by, uh, by my gastroenterologist. And that's sort of, sort of where things took off. When you get a diagnosis like that, how much did you understand about ulcerative colitis at the time? So at the time, uh, you know, being 16 years old, I, I'd never heard of it myself, neither Crohn's or colitis. So it was a, a pretty steep learning curve. Um, and so at the time, absolutely nothing. My parents had, had heard a little bit about it and sort of knew the names, but but not much about it. And I, I suspect that's true for, for a large part of the population. It's, it's a very common disease, but but as you sort of mentioned in the intro, it's not one that, that people often talk about. And it does fall under the umbrella of one of those invisible-type diseases. Certainly. And... At the time, I mean, obviously there are going to be things that you're going to have to deal with. Was this a, a painful thing for you to deal with? So so I think, you know, there's emotional pain and there's physical pain. I, I think for myself, I'm one of the lucky few that, that never had to deal so much with pain as, as, a, as a course of my disease. But I would say that that's sort of unusual for the majority of people. Um, you know, the, the symptoms range quite uh, quite dramatically, but pain is certainly one of the uh, one of the primary things that get people to a gastroenterologist in the first place. When you look at at how life is now and and managing things like ulcerative colitis, how difficult is it to manage things on a day to day basis? 
Yeah, so so I guess a, a short disclosure. So I what I am actually post surgery. So I have actually had to take my my colon out because of this disease. Um, and and after surgery, life has been pretty good. But it, there were a good eight years there where uh, where you know I, I tried all the medications and and none of the medications worked, including two clinical trials. Um, and I was basically symptomatic for for eight straight years. Um, and during those times, things were, were obviously very tough, you know, not being able to be more than, you know, like, like a couple hundred feet from a bathroom at any one time, um, you know, being able to only only be able to hold it for, you know, 10, 15 seconds at times before being able to make it to a bathroom for, for eight straight years, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, two or three times a night to go to the bathroom and, and being anemic and all the other things that sort of go along with that. Uh, I think I think I'm sort of painting the picture that that life isn't great when you're when you're sort of dealing with this condition, especially when it's uh you know, when it's not really responding to medications, as you would hope. Right. We're talking right now with Adrian Bolfon, one of the honorary chairs of this year's Gutsy Walk. You can go to gutsywalk.ca. Best thing to do is join a walk near you. And again, it isn't happening in person this year. We can hold out hope that 2022 provides us with that opportunity. Adrian, in learning what you have about, in your case, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's and colitis, the research and, and what's being done. Is there hope that that you're finding that, hey, there are things as you, you had to have a surgery, but there are things to be hopeful about with the money that is being raised? Absolutely. So uh, I actually, I took things a little a step further in, in terms of my own research. It, being diagnosed with IBD prompted me to, to go to medical school and, and become a doctor. And, and until recently, I wanted to become a gastroenterologist, but that recently changed to family medicine as a, as a career path. Uh, but that's sort of given me access to, you know, some of the top GIs in, in, in Canada, being able to see some of the research that's going on. And um, you know, it, it's hard for for sort of people that are not within in the business to know all the the minutia and all the things that are going on in there. But uh, I have to say, being on the other side of it, it's it's pretty darn impressive. When you go to the sort of annual conferences on on gastroenterology and IBD specifically, um, just seeing all, all the money that's being put into it, all the the effort and and the brilliance that the researchers bring to it, um, I'm, I'm constantly blown away by uh, by the progression that's happening day in and day out. Um, I, I think. We're not necessarily, you know, close to a cure in terms of being in the next five to ten years, but I think we're constantly having new medications that come out, and and every day we are getting closer to understanding this disease and and what causes it, and eventually what, um, you know, what what that cure is going to be. I, I think that definitely is in our future. I think it definitely is within our lifetime. Um, we just need to keep our our fundraising and awareness efforts going. Well, so far that fundraising, as we've said, has raised over $46 million for research projects in just 26 years. And this will take place this year on June the 6th. You can go to gutsywalk.ca and you can get yourself signed up for a local walk. They've already got hundreds of teams participating and all kinds of individuals participating. And it's something that just goes to help in that goal of one day finding a cure so had you thought because you were diagnosed when you were 16 had you thought about medicine before that or did this change your life completely in that way as well yeah honestly i, I it's funny I, I joked with my my now wife who was my girlfriend at the time that i almost wanted to do anything but medicine as she was interested in medicine in the first place um and so so being diagnosed with this disease kind of opened up my eyes to to what a career in medicine would look like and and it's it's incredibly fascinating in my mind one of the best jobs in the world 
Um, and IBD in particular has hold a, a special place in my heart, obviously. So, you know, just being able to, to follow some of the, the doctors that treat this disease on a regular basis has been, um, you know, one of the highlights of my life, even though it sort of came out of a, a difficult situation, of course. Well, hey, part of life is being able to take what doesn't go right and make it as good as you can. Adrian, it sounds like you've done exactly that. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for talking about Gutsy Walk for 2021. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I definitely appreciate you guys helping us uh, sort of get the word out, helping us raise awareness, and uh, and helping us with the fundraising efforts. Always. That's what we're here for. Definitely appreciate it. Take care and keep safe. Same to yourself. Have a good day. You too. That is Adrian Bolfon, one of the honorary chairs of Gutsy Walk. So visit gutsywalk.ca because this is one of those things that, again, you can know somebody for a long time. And unless they want to share the details of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis that they may be experiencing or any kind of IBD that they may have, you're really not necessarily going to know about it. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.